0: John, what's your favorite art form? Um, movies, probably. Movies? Okay. That's what we usually end up talking about. That's true. TV's yeah. been pretty good lately, you know. Uh, well, after that Chuck Klosterman book I just read. But uh, what if we're wrong? Did you say book? <laughs> Let me tell you about a brand new book so that's anyway, coming out. He yeah, has a really That is coming character. out September 19th on Amazon oh, Kindle. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. All right. I know. I Every, John, we're not one to hawk ho- our cheap wares. However, I just wanna let the world know that I have written a novel. Oh great. A beautiful, wonderful novel. A crime story. John. I didn't want to I story, didn't but... want to talk about this. I didn't want to talk about this because John, I th- this time of the podcast is not meant for huckstering, okay? <laughs> Alright? No, we'll get to the we'll get to the huckstering later in the movie we talk about, but this <laughs> I mean, this book b- I better this sell. than Spotlight. Better this than Spotlight, I guess. Yeah. If you saved this for Spotlight, I was going to be very mad at you. And I would have said, like, no, this episode will never see the light of day. Absolutely. And people wouldn't stick around for Spotlight. i got to, <laughs> I got to get this up at the front. No one's going to stick around now. Because, again, you're starting, <laughs> you're opening. With my like, hey, I first, my debut and possibly last novel is called Kingdom of God. Uh, it's about a bomb exploding at a U.S.-Mexico border crossing and a desk jockey at the, at the san diego police department named michael barish he's he's recruited against his will to get down into tijuana and find out what's going on and so it's a it's a it's a great crime story it's got a it's got a hopeful message i mean some really insightful characters i think i think it's really worth worth reading i don't know what did you I, think i assume i assume it's great i assume it's the next great american novel mm-hmm. which is why i shall never read it because i'm just <laughs> setting myself up for disappointment but yes in all seriousness greg did write a book and mm-hmm. you should check it out yes thank you john and John, you designed a, an incredible cover. I think you deserve well, credit for that. Duh. <laughs> Are you surprised? Are you shocked? That's, that's a good point. I'm kind of amazing at what I do. <laughs> Both in podcasting and as a graphic designer. hmm Cooking, as a lover, as a... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of podcasting, we should probably get into it, shouldn't yes. we? Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, a pop culture podcast where we look back at a quote-unquote classic and see if it holds up. See it through a modern lens. And this week, we watched the 1973 classic Paper Moon.
1: Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Yes, it's only a canvas sky But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in
0: me. It's only a paper moon and sailing across a cardboard sea. <laughs> you wouldn't be make believe. <laughs> Have you ever heard that song before? No. Oh, okay. but it's catchy. It's an earworm, yes. isn't it? It's it's one of those kind of like, quote-unquote, old jazz standards that you know people remake all the time. So what I had heard of it, like, covered from a more contemporary artist. Okay. But I did not know it dated all the way back to, like, the 1930s. Now oh. it makes sense, but, you know. Did you know that it was the basis for the title of this film? Yes. Okay. Is this why you wanted to watch this movie? Um, no. Really, the, <laughs> the whole impetus to watch this movie was we were going to do The Earth, the Day the Earth Stood Still, uh-huh. and then I wanted to do something with Moon in the title, and <laughs> then I wanted to do something with Sun in the title. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> we ended up pushing this one back. Yeah, But... So this I look movie... forward to The Sun Also Rises in a few weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this movie is kind of filled with the ephemera that draws me to a film. It's in black and white. It takes place during the Depression. It's about a huckster. It's about a con man, and that always draws me in. Um, it did not disappoint me like The Sting did, that's for sure. <laughs> because yeah, the, the closest point of comparison with this movie is The Sting, um, mm-hmm. both being set during the Depression centered around confidence men and grifters. Yes. And I thoroughly enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I I'll agree with you there. It's a very good movie. Mm. Um, but it did not it did not uh, excite the uh, a deep passion from me. Like I'll say, I admire the movie, but and you know, as a comedy, it does get its, it does get its laughs. It's kind of gorgeously directed. We should mm. say one big difference between this and this thing, other than being shot in black and white is also that it's uh shot around kansas and nebraska so you get these huge vistas of uh, dusty arid plains and so that's that's all wonderful however i just didn't i just didn't get the uh huge, hugely emotionally invested into it and i guess in spite of the fact that unlike this thing, this has a huge kind of familial hook to it well you mentioned the look of the film and what i love about the look of the film is the fact that it was done in black and white in high contrast, black and white, so it's very indicative of the area, and it feels like a Dorothea Lange photograph come to life. Yeah, but then I'm also, it made me like kind of consciously aware that it's a movie, and so mm. I didn't get as, absor- as absorbed into it. So just, I guess the, <laughs> that's more my fault if I can't, you know, <laughs> fall in love with the movie as I as I want to. Yeah. But I I, I want to believe in movie magic, and I really want to be swept up in it. And when you have kind of the artifice of a black and white. Uh, the two stars in the movie being both father and child in real life, yeah. and mother or kinda... uh, father and daughter. Yeah, and so you're kind of consciously aware, like, oh, I'm watching actors instead of real people. But you see, isn't that the point? <laughs> <laughs> and well, no, I explain. Understand. Let me explain. Let me explain. Yes. The title comes from *Paper Moon*. It's actually based on a novel called Aud- uh, Audi Prey*, mm-hmm. which is a terrible title. And thank goodness they changed it to Paper Moon. (laughs) And again, it's named after that song, and going back to that song, it was only a paper moon hanging above a cardboard seat. The lyric at the end of the chorus is, it might be make-believe, but... er, uh, I messed it up. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole point of the song is, we're in a world of artifice, but my love for you is genuine. Okay. And that's kind of a theme that carries over into this movie, and that's why the title is so evocative. The idea is... We're always supposed to question the relationship between these two. We're never led to believe, or we're never given a definitive answer that these two are really father and daughter. It's heavily implied. No, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Like, who are the two names above the queue? Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill. What do you? What do you exactly, really think? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they have the same chin for goodness sake exactly <laughs> that's what everyone that's what everyone says even though it's the movie's never definitive on whether they are actually mm-hmm. father and daughter everyone points out that oh you guys have the same jawline exactly but the what i also love about this movie is it's very unsentimental and See, that's actually what i didn't like about it oh really yeah no that's what i love about it because again and... they're partners they're two con people again mm-hmm. level of artifice they have this kind of fake relationship, even though there's a lot of animus between them. And even though it is implied that they genuinely care for each other, they're never going to admit that. The whole reason she tags along and she kind of has his best interests at heart is because she wants her $200 back. Or at least that's the reason she gives him. Yeah, but I wanted them to get over that kind of hump, where my <laughs> no. expectations of the movie were going, was to get sticky, no. sweet, and sentimental. That's what, no, that's what's better about it. it, is uh. the fact that it doesn't get into that territory. It's left implied. Deep down, we know the characters do genuinely care for each other, but they're not going to admit it to each other. No, that's I, what I, love I, but I wanted it to reach that crescendo where they do admit it, where there is no, a tearful scene. No, no, it's better left unsaid. No. That's what I love. That's the subtlety. No, it's I'll set. Well, let's oh. let's step back a little bit. Let's get back to the premise of the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we probably haven't explained. So it's the Great Depression out in mm-hmm. Kansas somewhere. Yep. I think Kansas or Nebraska, one of the Great Plains states. And 1935, um, I think, yeah. is the year this takes place. Yes, and uh, little Audie Prey. Unfortunately, your mother's just passed away. Well, her last name's not her last name's not Prey. Oh, whatever. I mean, <laughs> little Audie. Little yes, Audie, little. played by ten-year-old Tatum O'Neill. Who mm-hmm. would go on to win a, an Oscar for her for her performance, and I think rightfully so. It is a great performance, mm-hmm. many layers to it. But um, at the funeral, uh, a kind of a traveling uh, salesman, or what what they appears to be a traveling salesman, comes into town and just says like, "Oh, I want to pay my respects. All right, so long. Just drops some flowers, and is like off again. Yeah. But while he's there, they're like, "Hey, you know her. Can you take the daughter to where she's going to live now with yes. her aunt?" To our new and guardians uh, across in, into Missouri. He agrees, but without, you begrudgingly, know. Begrudgingly, yeah. Begrudgingly. But again, he you know, he's going to get something out of this. So what he ends up doing is conning someone with this dead mother story. He cons someone $200, which Audie sees this and she thinks, hey, that $200 is rightfully mine. Yeah, and eventually, um, so that's what that's what kind of keeps them together is like, hey, you got to pay me back my two hundred dollars. But that's when she mm-hmm. realizes that he's a grifter, and she gets kind of involved in the game. Mm-hmm. They form a great partnership because while he knows the ins and outs of grifting, she's much better at improvisation. Yes, that's how we that's so, how we first see is, um, and again, when you first see the well, actually that. <laughs> <laughs> It's going back to her motivation being the $200 that he's grifted out of a man that rightfully belongs to her, mm-hmm. and we see that the first great—that's her first great scene and the first kind of great layer of this performance—is how determined she is in that, mm-hmm. and how much of a foil she is for this uh this kind of slick uh, grifter.
1: <laughs> I want my $200. I heard you through the door talking to that man. It's my money you got, and I want it.
0: Mm-hmm. You just hold
2: on a second.
1: I want my money. You took my $200.
2: Will you quiet down, you hear?
1: I want my $200. Hold
2: on, just hold on. Let me explain something to you.
1: It ain't as if you was my pa, that'd be different. Well, I
2: ain't your pa, so just get that out of your head. I don't care what those neighbor ladies said.
1: I look like you that. You don't
2: look nothing like me. You don't look any more like me than then you do that, Coney Island. Eat that damn thing, you hear?
1: We got the same job. Lots
2: of people got the same job.
1: It's possible. No,
2: no, it ain't possible.
1: Then I want my $200. All right.
2: Same jaw, but same jaw don't mean same blood. I know a woman looks like a bullfrog, but that don't mean she's the damn thing's mother. You met my mom in a bar room. For God's sakes, child. You think everybody gets met in a bar room gets a baby? It's possible. Anything is possible, but possible don't make it true.
1: And I want my money.
2: Will you quiet down? You know what the trouble is with you? You've got no appreciation. All right. Maybe I did get a little money from that man, and you're entitled to that. But I'm entitled to my share for getting it for you, ain't I? Now, where do you think you'd be without me? You think them folks would spend a penny to send you east? No, sir. But who got you a ticket to St. Joe? Who got you a knee-high in a Coney Island? And threw in $20 extra, not to mention 85 cents for that telegram. You wouldn't have had any of that without me. Now, I didn't have to take you, but I took you, didn't I? All right, I think that's fair enough. (sighs) We're both a little better off. We'll get to St. Joe, I get myself a little better car. Fair is fair. Now break your knee high and eat your Coney Island.
1: I want my two hundred dollars.
0: It's also kind of interesting because he's a bit of a Nancy. He's yeah, well, yeah, very kind too. of yeah. well-kempt. He at one point claims that he's a farmer, but someone notices he has no dirt on his hands. Mm-hmm. He's very kind of regal, and then Audie, in uh, contrast, is very tomboyish. Yeah, everyone mistakes her for a boy because she has a short haircut and wears overalls. So there's a kind of nice dynamic and a balancing act there as well. Yeah, so that that dynamic works. However, um, just while we're kind of explaining the plot, one thing that kind of took me out of it was, in addition to it kind of it being black and white, and you're kind of always aware that it's it's you're watching a movie, another thing is how kind of um, rigidly the movie, the screenplay adheres to kind of formula. I suppose. I mean, I think of this more as like a road trip movie, so it's allowed to kind of be... I mean, I thought of this movie was a little more episodic than you did. I think Okay. Because again, like the events kind of lead into each other, but you could kind of take each of those events and make it into its own separate short story yeah. as well. But yeah, I was particularly thinking of um you know, she she jumps into her to her first uh con pretty much. He's he's mm-hmm. he's supposedly a Bible salesman, but really what he's doing is that looking at um, recently deceased people going to their spouses and basically saying, like, oh, they ordered this Bible. I was here to give you the deposit back. Unless, oh, but they, they stamped your name in this Bible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, they get sentimental and be like, oh, well, of course I'll take it.
1: <laughs> and and that's that great. Up
0: even, yeah, paying for a Bible they never actually ordered. And that's what's great is the fact that he kind of follows this rigid script. He always sells it for $7, like, flat rate. Mm-hmm. But when Audie starts getting involved, she can kind of see how wealthy the person is. And she'll charge him based on that. And her conscience gets the better of her at one point. This is one of my favorite scenes. They're scamming someone out of this Bible. But as she's at the door, more kids are coming in. Yeah, and so it's, it's quite clear how destitute they are. And Adi just interrupts him. Oh, no, this Bible's already paid for. You don't need to give us any money. All right, let's go. Bye. Because <laughs> she obviously feels bad scamming what little money they have. this family has left. Out of them. Yeah, the husband has just passed away, and now the single mother has to raise seven kids all under the He's age like, of ten. He, yeah, um, all by yourself, now that's one of your yeah. favorite scenes. This scene actually is what I really didn't like. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because it's it's the save the cat moment. Mm. Um, for anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about, there's a now famous screenwriting book called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder and what that what that title implies is um, you have to make your hero likable so give them a moment where they where they like literally show their virtue and in, in the example he mm-hmm. uses they save the cat or something like that yeah so even if, no matter how many kind of layers you're you're putting on the character like you have to show them be virtuous at least once mm-hmm. and so this this it felt like a, a sort of contrivance for me Mm. And I, again, I'm aware like I'm being pulled out of the movie being like, okay, now it's following story beats and you know playing by movie rules instead of, you know kind of absorbing me in the emotional aspects of the story. Um, yeah, I kind of understand that. But for me, it was just like another example showing how well Addie kind of adjusts to the situation. because mm. initially we see her do this and then later we see them trying to scam a Bible. With someone who's like clutching their pearls, and we see they have a beautiful fireplace and a mantle, yeah. And she's like twenty-four (laughs) dollars. That's how much the Bible's worth, (laughs) yeah. And of course, and of course, you see Ryan O'Neill's face go white or something like that. Like we can't charge her that much, and you know. Mm -hmm. But Audie uh, is clearly correct. So (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny that you mention that because do you think Audie is the main character or do you think Moses is the main character? Uh, Moses being the father. Yeah. See, I, I, it's Ryan O'Neill's first build, and I do think it's more his story somewhat. See, I think it's more Audie's. Well maybe in the book. Well, yeah, the book is named. She's I mean, <laughs> the book is the named book. after her. So yeah, but <laughs> the source material is named after her. Yeah, I can see in the adaptation, you've got a, you've got a star like Ryan O'Neill at the time, mm-hmm. and kind of like centering it around him a little bit more. But it, it's kind of a two hander. I mean, they're both really the stars of this. Um, at, you know, at the conclusion when they remain together. <laughs> yeah that's true that's yeah they, they're they really a team but i feel like it's more of her movie because she uh, takes more of the initiative most of the time and that's why i think of her as more of the main character. Is because she like again showing her skills as improvisation she's able to get them out of scrapes that he wouldn't be able to by himself because again she's sweet and innocent you're right and when we get to the second act because <laughs> this movie <laughs> clearly has three big acts and three big you know locations yeah and in the middle, the middle act focuses solely on her and, as you said, her initiative because uh, they visit a carnal, carnival and mm-hmm. Moe's the father is smitten. Ah, yes. With a lady of the evening. <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask what you thought of, of this. Hold on. P- she's not a lady of the evening to a s- extent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. She's an exotic dancer. No, she's a bit libertine and loose <laughs> with her morals, but <laughs> her name is Trixie Delight and she is a dancer. Birth name, Trixie Gwendolyn Delight. <laughs> no, she's not a drag queen, I know. No. But <laughs> um, It's very clear that she makes her living when she's not dancing, kind of scamming men out of money. Yeah. And also, it's pretty obvi- uh, obvious at times, she'll have to settle for prostitution to make ends meet as well. Mm-hmm. And the other weird thing about this movie is the only black character is kind of her servant. Yeah, well, I mean... That made still at the time, I mean, at the time, yeah, still, like, I mean, kind yeah, time... servitude at this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not like it's not like black people have been given the enfranchisement or agency to actually kind of get out of these roles. So, exactly. So I, it get... felt true to life, and it felt like that character was well developed, and she has a backstory, and she has drive to. She and uh, she has enough drive so that she and Audie conspire to break up this relationship, get some money, and she can go back home to her family in Detroit. Yeah, that's true. Which Just... I didn't see her get paid. After they did their little scheme. Oh, but. they did it they did. It's kinda out out like it was oh. it wasn't a close up or something like that, but I did see her give her, her money and she waves goodbye and Oh, okay. I only yeah. saw the wave goodbye. All right. Mm-hmm, yeah. But John, I mean, this is a. we have a very strong two hander here. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly we're throwing a curveball with Trixie and her poor indent- <laughs> poor uh poor maid. Her her well-begotten well begotten. Well again that's what I like about this big second act is the fact that again it plays with that ambiguity. Audie... Like obviously cares for Moses. She doesn't want him to get scammed. He doesn't want to get his heart broken. But also, this is her payday. <laughs> She's losing her chance to get her two hundred dollars back if she lets this happen. That's true. Cause he's getting now. He's getting conned and exactly. he a new car and yeah. basically throws away his money for this new for this new girl Trixie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This, so, ugh. but <laughs> in s- spite of that, I'm I swimming. feel like we're kind of losing that strong connection that we had between the two of them. No, I, so think why, and, and I think it amplifies it. I think it amplifies wish, it. You think it amplifies? It? I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know? Because it felt because well, again, felt more of a diversion it? and a distraction. I feel like it didn't contribute enough to them to these two characters coming together, which is what the movie's building towards. And instead, what we're what we're kind of getting is like a like I, again, it just felt like a distraction. It it didn't feel like it contributed to if if we have a through line here of these two characters, strongly implied father with strongly implied daughter <laughs> coming together. <laughs> the the introduction of Trixie just d- didn't contribute to that. It just felt like kind of it went back to like I need my two hundred dollars, which is not what I wanted out of Audie's character. <laughs> but that's the point. Like again, going back to that, she won't admit her true feelings. She won't admit that she loves and cares for him. Again, she'll only admit, "I want my two hundred dollars back." No, I. No, I, I. I. Not that she Not that she only admits that. I wanted her. Her kind of a motivation to to uh to kind of grow i mean maybe if there was a scene <laughs> something was said was like she can confess like no it wasn't the 200 like i was i was worried that you were you were going to run off without me no like see that. i think that's the strength of the movie is that it leaves it implied but it doesn't make it explicit see there's one scene that does that and it works sentimentally this is my mm-hmm. favorite scene um they're in a hotel room uh mose mose has fallen asleep Mm-hmm. And Ani has her little box and pictures of her mother, and she, actually she takes off her tomboy clothes and actually starts imitating her mother in the picture. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to melt. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's something where it's it wordlessly explains that she really still admires her mother and kind of wants to keep her memory alive. Yeah. But okay, we're going to disagree. For... We're going to disagree again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is where it got a little muddled for me. All right. And again, of uh, we usually bring this up, you know, confused gender politics. <laughs> because, are we supposed to think that she wants to be a tomboy, or that she's forced to be a tomboy? Well, because I, I, obviously, I didn't, she I didn't gets, think it had anything to do with her gender identity. I think it more. It I to think it with kind of like well, admiring her mother. That's what I thought it had to do with. Yeah, that's true. She does clearly. That scene is she wants to emulate her mother, even though her mother too was a lady of the evening, a libertine, <laughs> and. Like, again, confusing gender politics. Mm -hmm. She dresses like a tomboy. She has a very short haircut. And she always gets offended when someone mistakes her for a boy. So is it her choice to dress the way she does? Or does she feel like she's societally pushed to do one thing or the other? No, again, going back to the con thing uh moses suggests that she dresses herself up a little bit better she gets ribbons for her hair which also turns into another con yeah um and you know gets her nice pretty dresses so again she can look more of the part but again is that really who she wants to be cuz this scene implies that this is who she really wants to be but again she wouldn't dress like a tomboy if she wanted to be that in the first place no i, I think kind of i think she's she's dressing as a tomboy she has no choice i think she's kind of locked into this kind of farmer girl identity no. Oh. Whereas, okay. um, I, I yeah. Guess whereas connecting with her, her, as you said, dandy, dandy man, you know, father, <laughs> surrogate father here, mm. um, does enable her to kind of dress up and, and emulate her mother more. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, that's a possibility. And maybe, but yeah. And maybe... I think, I think it made it. I wish that they kind of made it a little more clear that it's like she wanted to dress this way, and she doesn't want society to kind of push their values on her. And I think mm. that would have made her a stronger character. Okay. I don't know. I think she's already a strong character to begin with. I just think the whole role of the clothes and the way she dresses gets a little muddled. Because, okay. again, we do get that great scene where she, you know, gets out her mother's belongings and poses just like her in the one picture that she has of them together. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's a very interesting picture because her mom is, like, posing. She looks like a pinup girl. And then Aud- <laughs> Audie's just sitting there with her arms folded. Yeah, her, her hands stuffed in her pockets and pouting. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of comes full circle at the end. I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to talk about the ending. Well, yeah, let's get there. I guess um, there's some machinations in the third third act <laughs> involving uh, bootleggers and things like that, yeah. They get to their destination, which is her aunt and uncle's place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. he leaves them, like, these are going to be your new guardians. i got to hit the road again. Sorry, Audi. I'm sorry, I'm gone. I think it's, and again, maybe I'm just reading a little too much into it, but I think it's implied he drops her off finally because things have gotten too dangerous for her. Well, yeah, definitely, because mm-hmm. now they run afoul of boot. Like you said, she shows some initiative. She's the one that wants to take on bootleggers now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, she's steal kind of encouraged. Sell it back to them, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he's—it's obvious he's willing to keep her with him on the road for as long as possible. But after this incident with the bootleggers, he takes her to you know her rightful guardians to a nice, safe, stable home where she probably belongs. Yeah. And we do get a scene where she meets the family and she kind of starts to try to maybe integrate with them and he drives off. And his car jams. <laughs> it's a really shitty yeah. car. <laughs> and he looks well, it's back a truck he, that stolen, yeah. Yeah. And he looks back and he sees that he left her a note. She left, yeah, picture. she left her a little note and a picture. It was a picture at the carnival where she took a picture alone that was meant to be with both of them. Yeah, instead he was with Trixie at the time and mm-hmm. Now she's alone with the same pout and um, pout on her face. <laughs> but he looks back down the road and he sees she's following him. She's run away again. <laughs> and when she gets there, what does she say? I want my two hundred dollars. See, this is where I wanted the waterworks. <laughs> no, no, that's what makes it so perfect. No, she, it's not perfect. Deep no. down, she you know she loves him but she's not going to admit it to him, because that's not their relationship. Their relationship is not one that rewards it's a based, it's based deep set feeling. <laughs> exactly. Huh? It was only a paper moon. sailing yes. across a cardboard sea. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what I wanted uh, when they run afoul of the sheriff. I wanted her to tear, tearfully admit, scream like, that's my daddy, or something. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I really wanted the the, the ridiculously <laughs> sentimental, you know, tearful, you know, confessional no, or something like that. No, that's that's, that's what, what I was really it hoping great. it would go for. And no, unfortunately, that's... because because it's so un- and sentimental, it felt like the movie kept me kind of at arm's length. Mm, no, I disagree. I disagree completely. I think that's what makes it great is that there is this level of surface tension that the movie leaves implied, and it's not going to sugarcoat it for you. Again, very unsentimental that's, movie. No, that's I, Well, I agree to disagree there. <laughs> <laughs> what are we, two different characters or two differing viewpoints? I don't.
2: <laughs> I told you I don't want you riding with
1: me no more. You still owe me $200.
0: But I, I think we should actually go back. Uh, th- that's kind of our, our where we diverge in the film. I think one thing we could probably uh, extol it for is actually being pretty funny. <laughs> it is a very funny movie. Yeah. Yes. We're, t- we're talking about all the thematic resonances and gender identity and things like that. Like, this is a very successful comedy, too. That is very true, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and part of it is, uh, like, how these characters are foils. <laughs> and, it, like, I don't know. There's something inherent about the way people talked back then. Oh, it's that too, kind yeah, of they play it up. This, yeah, this is, this is a Depression-era, or it's set during Depression, so obviously it's playing off of the way dialogue was spoken in, in Depression-era movies. Like, hey, Austin <laughs> <laughs> and Botkins, you know, talking a mile a minute, you know. There's one scene in particular very early on where he's taking her to the train station, and he stops and buys her a meal. He's at least willing to do that, obviously trying to keep it as cheap as possible. <laughs> But she refuses to eat, because again, she wants her $200. Yeah. And he, keeps her, he gets her She's a hot dog. She's also upset that her mother has died recently. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, Okay, maybe. <laughs> she doesn't really let on, but yeah, he gets her a hot dog, but he calls it a Coney Island. Well, yeah, that was <laughs> the name for it. <laughs> and like nine times, he's like, eat your Coney Island. He says that like nine times in the movie. And I'm like giddy every time he says it. It's like, he calls it a Coney Island. Yeah. <laughs> Because again, like, how can you be mad and demanding while you're calling a hot dog a Coney Island? Yeah, <laughs> and what's her drink like a high ni or something like that? And I saw a it, knee I high, saw it the, a, knee, a high. knee high. That's what it is. <laughs> Spelled like N I <N-I-H-I>. H <laughs> I. Because it's a liter, it's a it's a liter bottle, and I guess it's like tall enough to go up to a child's knee or something like that. That's yeah, like, oh, but it's, it's but it's drink not drink your sp- knee high and eat your Coney Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then Smash Cut 2, when they reach the conclusion, the great Smash Cuts to between scenes that great create a laugh or something like that. Smash Cut 2, he has to return the ticket, get in the car, and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's just got a lot of great lines, like I think the most famous line from this one they've been arguing, and the argument concludes... Uh, he's explaining like manners, and he's like, you know, there's a lot of good people out there with scruples. Do you know what scruples are? I've got scruples, and she says, "Yeah, well, if you've got scruples, they, sh- you sure as hell didn't buy them." Yeah, There's <laughs> something like that. I mess it up, but yeah. <laughs> well, instead, it's more famous, I think, for Tatum O'Neill's performance. Mm-hmm. It, and it's probably that comfort level that she's performing with her father. Yeah, but it, there it's are very... a lot of layers. It, it's very convincing in terms of not only her anger and determination and uh in wanting her two hundred dollars but when the cons do happen like she's gotta she's gotta let the waterworks go when um like oh i lost i lost my twenty dollar bill and my mom wrote uh it said, like you know <laughs> love you Audie. and then they go to the cash register like oh it's brian o'neill's already paid with a with a twenty dollar bill that says love you Audie. so they <laughs> get exactly <back> to- <laughs> yeah it's i don't know like it's a very naturalistic performance and I think it's because it does seem like a child acting. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I th- I, that's why I actually... I think a, a great virtue of child actors is they, they don't have that artifice. There's no like consciousness to, like, okay, I'm going to say this then, uh, and I'm going to put this inflection on it, or something like that. There is there is kind of a naturalness to it, because they don't have the, the training and all this years <laughs> of experience and baggage behind every line reading. That is true. Yeah. Which whereas I, Ryan O'Neill's performance... Very mannered, very... <laughs> like, again, coming out of that era, it almost feels like, you know, very good enunciation and ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but again, it just creates foils between them. It's, yeah. you know, more contrast. Yeah. Whereas And his pre- performance is great as well because, again, it's just so mannered. Yeah. Again, it contrasts his performative nature with her naturalistic qualities. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: That's yeah, is Watch it, why they complement each other so well when they get on the road and start scamming people and yeah, start grifting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I love this movie. Yeah, I love right. it. Yeah. Of course I'm right. Nice. I've never ever been wrong. <laughs> you're, you're right in that it's a good movie. Do I think you need to rush out to your local Megaplex and <laughs> I see, like the, see the, what is it, 40-year revival of it? I'm not sure. <laughs> At the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, because the, they're the only ones who do revival these days unless yeah. it's a drive-in, so, <laughs> yeah. It's oh, this would be a great drive-in movie because they're in a car the whole be. time. It's sweet, yeah. Like yeah. the sting, it's playing up the nostalgia of a, of a bygone era. <laughs> In spite of, <laughs> a nostalgia for a time when everyone was starving and jobless. <laughs> that's ah, the good old days. In spite of that, in spite of that setting, it's never it's never dour, is it? No, not really. I guess it's not really a realistic depiction of the Depression no. era because everyone seems to be gainfully employed. Yeah, <laughs> or else he wouldn't have targets. <laughs> no, that's true. And even the people they do meet, like uh, farmers, like <laughs> they run afoul of a few farmers and have to get into a fight. Which are also kind of stereotypical bumpkins, yeah. <laughs> so I, I will say this: not perfect, but still a very good movie. Well, there's no such thing as a perfect movie unless you're Star Wars um, or a talking cat. <laughs> <laughs> go, the, go see that! Go see that brilliant David Dakota film. D- judging that up from the depth, Greg. I know my crap. Greg's I... real hip to the internet humor these days, guys. Totally yes. random. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fidget spitters. <laughs> <Fidget laughs> <spritters. laughs> Hashtags. <laughs> I am like a, a constipation relief specialist. I know my shit. <laughs> wow. Good lord. <laughs> Is that, did that take place in Gitmo? Because that was tortured. <laughs> Is go go buy the Kingdom of God right now on Amazon. <laughs> if you loved that little analogy, just wait until the more <laughs> once you read in his novel, his debut novel. <laughs> Actually, there are very few uh, analogies, and they're very straightforward. It's like Cormac McCarthy. If you love Cormac McCarthy with the intrigue of say, or the procedural insight of a Tom Clancy novel, I think you'll really enjoy it. Great. Yeah. I, I, again, anyway, spotlight my new book. <laughs> Uh, again i can't read it because i can't be partial this is true yes because again my brother wrote it and mm-hmm. my brother is a butthole <laughs> so obviously i'm gonna wa- read this book thinking a butthole wrote it yeah <laughs> and you'd be right <laughs> but see other people who don't know us don't know that so i guess that's true well mm-hmm. they know us now <laughs> we've been doing enough episodes of the podcast <laughs> this is true anyway spotlight let's go spotlight (laughs) let's go spotlight 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 it's time robbie it's time for spotlight this week i hope that everyone's gotten a chance to watch the new season of bojack horseman Uh, uh, john it's been 72 hours of course they've had a chance to watch (laughs) the new season of bojack horseman (laughs) (laughs) they plowed through it this is why i love binge watching uh sitcoms as opposed to hour-long dramas because they're much more time efficient Mm mm-hmm Still very good in its fourth season, even though it does feel like it's getting a little repetitive. Yeah, so we should probably explain it's a, it's a Hollywood satire. Mm-hmm. Animals and humans live alongside each other. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Crazy. What cuckoo land is this? <laughs> exactly. And so it's, it's a weird blend of humor going on because, again, a lot of it's like pun-based or just kind of clever wordplay. And uh, throwing in that Hollywood satire as well. You think an animated show with humans and anthropomorphic animals mm-hmm. <laughs> would just be it would just be like a like a silly laugh riot and instead it delves into some very <laughs> deep and heavy subjects. Exactly. It's it's almost as if it's a Trojan horse. Man, <laughs> did you, did you did you get it? Cuz I the main I character. said man, the main I, character completed, is a I horse. completed the joke. The main You, character. you didn't you didn't you handed me the assist. You don't give me credit. I get credit for the points, though. No, you see, I was trying to keep it subtle. All right, you just <laughs> had to. You just had to. And throw that whole man in there and just ruin yep. the subtlety. All right, mm-hmm. let them connect the dots. Okay. No, no. That not, i I do the work. The audience doesn't. So the audience doesn't. <laughs> they could sit on their. They could sit on their butts and shovel popcorn into their mouths. <laughs> the audience has to know how clever it was. How clever I was. <laughs> Anyway, back to Bojack Horseman. Yeah, so it's um, a Hollywood satire, an absurdist cartoon, but also a deep exploration on depression and crippling ennui. Yeah. <laughs> Bojack Horseman is a sitcom star from the 90s. He hasn't done anything of note since. And but he's, hu- ha- he's hugely successful and, and still famous. Yeah, he's still famous, but again, his, his career is kind of a joke at this point. Yeah. You know, when people recognize him, it's like, hey, aren't you the horse from Horsing Around? Yeah. And obviously. Which was the stereo you, which was the uh the, the rote, you know, broad mm-hmm. comedy sitcom that he was on. Full house. It's kind of spoofing full house. Yeah. So, yeah. And basically he is a alcoholic. <laughs> He's dealing <laughs> oh, with Oh more depression. than that, John. Yeah. And just a uh, sex, sex addict. Of, yeah sex battles and yeah. Yep. Lots of drugs. And uh basically about the ins and out of his life as a has been. <laughs> As he deals with depression and seriously crippling emotional problems. Yep. There's fun. Put, yeah. <laughs> There's this put upon agent played by Amy Sedaris. There's a yep. uh, hanger on named Todd played by Aaron Paul. Mm-hmm. His best friend slash rival slash enemy, Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> yes. He's Mr. a golden retriever. That's why his name is Mr. Peanutbutter. Yes, and he's <laughs> incredibly cheerful in contrast, in sharp contrast to the to the um, cripplingly depressed uh, BoJack. He's um, <laughs> e- endlessly cheerful and endlessly likable. And it's very funny, but again, very depressing. So it can take these kind of wild tonal shifts. There's one episode in particular this season that's a huge standout called uh, You Piece of Shit. <laughs> and it's because after four seasons, we're finally welcomed into BoJack's thought process. Mm-hmm and what it's like to deal with his kind of emotional problems. And so we hear his inner monologue, and every single statement he thinks about himself starts with, you piece of shit, because again, (laughs) he hates himself. And Mm -hmm. it just causes him to spiral and make worse and worse decisions. (laughs) That's true. um, Fun! Yeah, exactly. I thought even the the harder balancing act it had was uh, an episode called Thoughts and Prayers. Oh, that's true, yes. Also, every season, there's a kind of a hot-button issue. That episode. they tackle. yeah, yeah. Uh, the season prior, it was one um, uh, one character becomes the social media uh, manager for a uh, pop star, mm-hmm. and she has to has have an abortion, <laughs> and suddenly this gets out into the public, and, and now they're suddenly facing this issue head on. Yeah. And in this in this episode, thoughts and prayers, it's about a mass shooting. There are these well, frequent mass shoot- shootings, and all that anybody cares about is the opening of their movie, which has gun violence in it. <laughs> Well, that's what's kind of—that's what makes these episodes kind of satirical—is the fact that they're about these hot-button issues, but they're really not about the hot-button issue. What they're about is how it affects the characters and how selfish they're being. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about the fact that they're mass shootings. They wave it off with again. Oh, and again, our thoughts and prayers to the victims. Oh yeah, yeah, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. But how's this going to affect our opening weekend? <laughs> yeah. I should say the the characters are still likable though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, even though, as you said, um, it's getting a little repetitive, like, they're all starting to talk the same. hmm <laughs> yeah. Like, each episode kind of ends in a, in a monologue, where they're like, oh, so they elucidate on the nature of self-doubt and self-hatred. And mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like I have a hole inside me that, you know, only substance can fill, and mm-hmm. all the goodness is leaking out of me. And, and again, you'll hear this from every character. <laughs> Not just Bojack. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. It's almost like they kind of go through the same story beats and just have a different character experience it. So in the first season, Bojack goes on a bender to end all benders. Yeah. And it's amazing he's still alive at the end of it. And then in the next season, it's Diane who does that. Yeah, and then the a, next season, it's Princess A character Caroline, who you, you don't know? anticipate actually having, yeah. <laughs> Two characters who you don't actually anticipate would ever have, go on a bender is now acting completely out of, out of character. Exactly. And again, that's built into Bojack's personality. That's part of his character. So when another character does it, it doesn't have the same emotional gut punch. Yeah. But, a, but again, it's a supremely clever show. Yes. And a lot of great laughs, too. What kind of show would definitely balance, like, talking about depression, but also have a bridge to Hawaii? You know, it's absurd. Yeah. (laughs) Or um, you just have Mr. Peanut Butter walk backwards into a room like, I didn't get anywhere in life by not listening to you saying, (laughs) you can't go through that door. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets a sitcom out of it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, wouldn't you rather see a sitcom where somebody's trying to, like, uh, you know, with a solid comedy premise where somebody's trying to tell you something behind them, and there is somebody trying to tell them something <laughs> behind them? <laughs> and the audience, of course, eats it up. Yes. Again, <laughs> clever gags like that. In spite of, In spite of the heavy material, a lot of very frequent heavy gag, clever gags like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so still solid stuff in its fourth season. Yep. But Greg, enough about me. What do you have for Spotlight? Let's talk about you. Yes. Well years ago by years ago I mean like 10 plus years ago when IMDb did uh, Hyperlinks at the bottom of the page you remember when they did that vaguely okay but Steven Soderbergh did a guest column and he said the world is focused on what's underrated or overrated or something like that like I just want to talk about a great movie and just talk about how great it is (laughs) and that's what I'm devoting this spotlight to and it's the movie that I was reminded of while watching Paper Moon and that's Little Miss Sunshine ah yes another road trip movie which is very unsentimental. Yes. It well, I think no, it's it's sentimental at the at the right moments. Mm. I think. Also sent around a great natural performance by a ten-year-old. <laughs> there you go. Did yes, she get was... nominated for that role? Yes, or no? she got nom- nominated for best supporting actress. She, did, unlike Tatum O'Neal, she did not win though. <sighs> Abigail. You know, Abigail, that. one day. In Breslin. Yes. <laughs> Breslin <laughs> is her last <laughs> name. I know you were still stuck there. <laughs> no, I knew it was Abigail Breslin. I was talking to her directly. I wouldn't use her last name if I was talking to her. I directly. know she's like, a big fan. I of know she's like... listening. <laughs> this will pop up in her Google alerts. I'm sure. Yes. In <laughs> any event, I don't know what this reputation, the reputation of this movie is now, because it's a, it's a prototypical Sundance movie. Yeah. And by that I mean it's a, it's a quirky comedy, a quirky road trip comedy with a, a, a coterie of you know <laughs> character, uh, damaged characters, mm-hmm. kind of flinting the line between comedy and drama. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Like, this is gonna sound like a weird comparison, but I feel like it. It's it's probably a good comparison with the Matrix. It was kind of so <laughs> influential on. that uh, it kind of lost its luster as years went on, because again, there were so many imitators. This is true. Yeah, I wouldn't say imitators, but it's 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 um, it's ripe for parody. That is true. With again the yellow the yellow bus and the. Mm -hmm. And the gay character played by Steve Carell, and the the Mm -hmm. crotchety old man played by Alan Arkin. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure if it's an Oscar-worthy performance, but it is definitely one of the stronger points of the movie. Hey, he's been playing that role ever since, so go get him, Tiger. (laughs) But no, it's a very good film. Um, I haven't seen it in years. I loved it the first time I saw it, though, so I'm sure it holds up. Yeah, I'll I'll give you credit. I'll give you credence. Yeah, and I'll 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 stick to the the sentimental moments because um, spoiler alert for eleven year old movies, but (laughs) (laughs) at one point it's it's very similar. It's got the same story beats as Vacation, and at one point um, Grandpa does pass away while they're on the road. Yeah. And it's those kind of moments like it's it's very quiet in those moments and um again small little gestures between characters suddenly become magnified and so th- those are kind of the sticky sweet moments that I wanted out of that I wanted out of Paper Moon that you can find in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. And again, yeah. that comedy elements like what do we do with the body? You got to keep it in the back. Oh no, we got mm-hmm. pulled over. <laughs> yeah. And I will say also a great score by uh, <laughs> one of my favorite bands, uh, Devotchka. Oh, <laughs> Divocka, yeah, and an indie band. They were they were on every indie movie soundtrack between 2006 and 2012. So check them out too. <laughs> you probably you probably heard one of their songs in an Apple commercial at one point. So yes, mm. or again, any independent movie, you know, Ruby Sparks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also with Paul Dano. Yep, that Paul Dano. If you're making an indie movie, give him a call. He'll say yes. <laughs> He'll say "Yes, Swiss and Army Man proceed yes, to, yes proceed to weird it up a bit <laughs> <laughs> with an awkward mannered performance. Mm-hmm. Don't believe me, Daniel.'t be- <laughs> we are animal lovers. <laughs> <laughs> you just loved Oak Show so much it's obviously sticks with you uh, i it, it has <laughs> <laughs> it's like a like a venereal disease <laughs> ouch. <laughs> burn Bong Jun ho burn. <laughs> burn sorry Bong Jun ho it hurts when I pee and I, I hold you responsible <laughs> it's just a crawl on my side or my crotch now <laughs> this is the kind of humor you can expect when you follow aspiring snobs on social media absolutely give us, a, give us a like on Facebook give us a follow on Twitter yeah and then after that you can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and subscribe and give us a rating it's heck a rating. we'd appreciate it Absolutely. Give us those stars. Look, if you, your, if you want your $1 deposit back, we're totally willing to give it to you. But your grandpa wanted this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wanted one name in it. Um, that name is uh, Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie. Wouldn't you? I mean, look, we'll give you your $1 back, but shouldn't you give us five stars in return? absolutely no i mean it's what the grandfather had engraved in the bible you know make sure you give the aspiring snobs podcast five stars but mm-hmm. it's fine if you just want your deposit bag it's okay you yeah. <laughs> i'm not trying to guilt you into anything no but. stephanie again you're cool stephanie just you know yeah <laughs> well thank you stephanie and everybody else for listening <laughs> yes and until next time oh wait we nope, we we we're No, we didn't stop no episode. no 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 yep we nope stop 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 right there Hold on, Stephanie. <laughs> we keep forgetting to tell people what we're going to watch next week. Absolutely. John, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching The Apartment. Yes. I don't know why I gave it an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> that, that would be the remake. It would, it would have an exclamation point and no capitalization. Okay. And it would be a horror movie by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> the Apartment. <laughs> it would be played by um, Peter Skarsgård, and his life would be falling apart in The Apartment. Oh, I can't wait for his career to take off. More Skarsgards, please. <laughs> I just want more. Yeah. Well Bill Bill star- guard is now a is now a major motion picture star. This is true. Having been in a record setting box office movie in September with it. Yep. <laughs> He's the new it thing. <laughs> And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Let's cut it there. He's the greatest podcaster of all time. As he walks off the field, the fireworks are going, the fans are going crazy. <laughs> Until next week, keep aspiring. John <laughs> John Jonathan, John Jonathan, Jonathan. Let's stop it right there. Okay, that's great.